0: Channel 62 has the lowest ratings in the history of television. What they need
1: is a new station manager. No,
2: not him. Forget it. No way.
1: What they get is a man so desperate, he'll put anyone on the air.
2: Hey, Stanley. Yeah, George. How would you like your own TV show? Okay. Ah!
3: Ah! Orion Pictures presents
0: Weird Al Yankovic in UHF. The movie.
1: Hello and welcome to the Dead Letter Movie Podcast. This is episode 62, recorded August 21st, 2021. I'm Tim. I'm Andrew. And I'm TJ.
0: Yeah, we have TJ with us this time, because we are continuing our Bands on the reel, and uh, we are going to be covering 1989's UHF with Weird Al Yankovic, and TJ is the biggest Weird Al Yankovic fan that I know, and it seemed... Uh, not it it seemed that it would be the wrong thing to do to not have him on the episode with us you might remember tj from our ed wood episode so tj's alarm for the right here for us to talk about weird al's hard day's night of sorts
2: heck yeah good old weird al yeah gotta love him yeah <laughs> you can't
0: not yeah <laughs> you can't not yeah uh UHF from 1989 starring of course weird al yankovic kevin mccarthy David Bow, who is not David Bowie, but David <laughs> Bow, uh, Fran Drescher, Victoria Jackson, and Getty Wenanabe. and we will talk about all of this as we go along. But first, a quick and dirty history of the genre that we've been doing. So last time we covered Head, which was from 1968, and so in the 70s we don't have as many of these movies where a band has a movie there's there aren't as many of them or they're just a little bit different from a hard day's night kind of sort of concept we have a lot of singer songwriters that appear in movies at this time one of my favorite singer songwriters in a movie is Tulane Blacktop with James Taylor but James Taylor doesn't perform any songs in that movie he's just driving a car with Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys musicians driving across country um, in a cross-country race with war notes but there are there's no no one's there's no singing in that one so it doesn't really count. And um, he also like, never
1: did any other movies.
0: I know. Why? Well, uh, yeah, I don't know if Dennis was anything else, but James Taylor wasn't anything no. else except for <laughs> um except for funny people. The uh, but he's playing James Taylor in that, yeah. so it's it's a, it's a little bit different. And so there's also Mahogany uh, with Diana Ross which is a movie directed by Barry Gordy which could probably actually fit this. Um I had just recently discovered that it might fit this, so you know, Tim and I may w- may do that one in the future. Um, but there's Other movies like Phantom of the Paradise, which is basically Paul Williams' showcase movie, but he only, he doesn't really, he sings songs in it, you just don't see him do it. Um, And that movie is worth checking out, but doesn't quite fit what we're doing here. We also, in the 70s, get movies like Tommy, which is an adaptation of a rock opera by The Who, starring Roger Daltrey of The Who, but it's an adaptation, so it's not exactly what we're looking for here. I know, I put a lot of parameters on this. (laughs) Um, There's also... yeah. There's also Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which you'd think would be a Beatles movie, but it isn't. It's actually a Bee Gees and Peter Frampton (laughs) movie, and it is terrible. (laughs) I, I only saw part of it once on VH1. It is not good. However, it does have the claim to fame as being the reason why Aerosmith covered Come Together, which is why... I thought of Come Together as an Aerosmith song for years before I knew it was a Beatles song. Yes, I know that is kind of blasphemous, and I am sorry. Yeah, uh, you're, but, you're you're not alone on I'm that. But I'm not alone on that. I know that for sure. Today uh, I but, learned. Totally. Yeah, is. exactly. Yeah, so... Because <laughs> that's what the radio stations would play. They would play the Aerosmith version more than the Beatles one for some reason. I, I don't know why. And... Um, Going into the '80s, we have a we have a handful of those still going on. There's one very important one that comes out in 1984, but more on that later. In 1986, uh, Talking Heads have what is basically what I would call a Talking Heads version of a Hard Day's Night called True Stories. Uh, the band itself isn't really in it too much, but David Byrne is. And when you consider what Talking Heads is, it kind of fits them. But uh, yeah, and then we have like some other odds and ends where we have rock stars. Performing and being characters, but they aren't exactly showcases for them necessarily. So that brings us to 1989 and Weird Al's film UHF. Now, in 1985, he had a previous sort of dry run for UHF called The Complete Al, and that's E A T like the Complete Beatles, which was a documentary in the 80s that come out that was that you know that existed, and Al was parodying there. And uh, that is more or less a vessel to compile all of his music videos at that time. But there is some filler odds and ends in there. And it's kind of worth checking out if you're into Weird Al. It's on Hoopla, which you can watch for free through your public libraries. So check it out that way. Um, so and it's directed by the same people. Or actually, it's directed by um, Al's manager, which is the same person who did UHF. And uh, Weird Al, I don't have to talk about too much. Um, you can look him up pretty He's been around for a while now. His first big claim to fame was covering, well, not covering, but parodying "My Sharona" with "My Bologna." Originally recorded in the bathroom of Cal Poly's like radio station bathroom, mm-hmm. uh, he was a DJ there, and that's when he got the idea to parody it. And uh, eventually, the guy from from the Knack heard it, got Capitol Records to release it as a single, and that's how he became a big deal. I mean, Dr. Demento was involved in it in this as well, uh, but you can look all that up yourself. Getting into UHF, uh, TJ, you were saying that they had shopped this around for a while, yeah?
2: Yeah, they. Uh, as you as as you were saying, like '85 was kind of a dry run. From from what I've heard and done a little bit of checking in, he the, he and uh, was it Levy is his manager? Yeah, I think that's right? the manager's names slash oh. the
0: director of these things. Yeah,
2: yeah, they had been doing some writing and and shopping around uh, this to potential studios, and I mean, eventually settled with uh, Orion. Rest in peace. Um, <laughs> so uh, we have
0: been kind of resu- resurrected now, <laughs> kind of
2: But yeah, they had, they had shopped their, their film around to a couple places I don't remember what the studios in particular And it, you know, it's history's mm. business to really remember all those pieces, I guess They had spent some time, obviously, writing it on and off over time And I seem to recall hearing a story of them saying Oh yeah, we knew it was serious when we finally bought a Basically a microwave oven to make dinners So that we could focus on writing they knew that they were finally serious about writing out a movie and a script so but yeah
0: so this got written up uh, al at the time had been this is pro- i guess you would say the mid 80s was kind of like the apex of his popularity for that decade and uh, so he but he was still going strong at this time he had um, gone he had, he had won a number of grammys at this point um i don't think he hadn't really quite hit the the record like the billboard success that he would have until much later with like mandatory fun being the number one album like you know just just like a few years ago but um didn't quite make it to that yet but he was still a big deal he would be on emtv a fair amount hosting al tv um doing his own shtick from time to time so al was very much a presence um still kind of a cult figure um he wouldn't it was never as big as like the beatles or Well, I don't know, he's probably, well, maybe, um, I don't know, it's hard to compare him with the monkeys, it's a little bit different. Yeah, but I mean, he wasn't like, he was someone that people knew. And so it kind of made sense for him to finally have a movie. And uh, if there's nothing else that we need to add, we can just go straight into the film discussion.
3: Channel 62. Never heard of it.
2: I'm not surprised. More people watch the fish tank at Leo's pet store. It's a little UHF station on the edge of town. It's been on the brink of bankruptcy for years. It's too bad I gotta dump it.
3: Oh, really? I kind of like the idea of us having our own TV station.
2: Forget about it. They can't even find anybody to manage the place anymore.
3: Harvey, I know somebody who'd be perfect for the job. Oh, yeah? Who's that? George! George, dear,
1: can you come over here for a second? Yeah. So uh, this is a this is a pretty pretty standard as as far as plot goes. Eighties comedy.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, a lot of these scenes could have come from any other eighties slapstick kind of comedy. Yeah. And it's, it's and it's 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 that, and then it's just littered throughout with bits that are just pure Al. It's it's mm-hmm. it's all very very much his sense of humor, as as applied to. You know, physical and visual comedy, and and some some of the same wordplay that you get in his in his music as well. Mm-hmm.
0: The kind of the general plot of the movie is George Newman, who is you know who Al plays in this, is kind of a ne'er do well, directionless, motivate motivationless kind of guy, a lacking motivation, sort of guy, going in and out of jobs, gets fired, and then suddenly his uncle wins a UHF station, which is a kind of TV station that still exists to an extent yeah. I suppose yeah. even even with the digital to analog crossover but um he he wins a UHF station in a poker game and needs someone to manage it so Al's aunt convinces his uncle to let him take it over and yeah that basically is the the short and long of the plot there <laughs> him trying to him trying to make a TV station successful um at one point they have to come up with $75,000 which in today's money would be um just over $165,000 today um, in order for them to keep their radio station and for the most part the viewer is basically seeing some of that plot of him trying to keep the station alive and fighting Kevin McCarthy who owns the network affiliate in the area and, uh, who wants to, t- who wants the station to take it over and just basically kill it so he can get rid of the competition. And, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's about as simple of a 1980s comedy movie plot as you can have. And it's a good enough excuse to have little sketch comedy bits from time to time. It's not on, like a naked gun movie or airplane movie, but TJ, you, you noticed that you saw some other influences as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. When I was watching it, uh, well, the research for, for our recording here, I uh, watched it a couple of times and I couldn't help but notice, like you said, so there's there's some impact or at least a influence that's really similar to National Lampoon's with kind of wordplay. Mm. I also felt like there was an impact of uh, Mel Brooks. I yeah. saw a lot of Mel Brooks influences, at least with Weird Al and his humor. And he had made some mention somewhere that uh, uh, SCTV, I oh, think, was totally. another influence of like his comedy. And I was SCTV going on at the time. Yeah, it was going were.
0: Yeah, it may have. I don't know if it had died yet, but it was getting it was uh, I think it was waning by the end of the 80s. But Fridays was also a sketch comedy show on at the time that Michael Richards was on. So like and he's a big part of this movie. So I wonder if that was part of it as well.
2: And yeah, yeah. Like So I mean, I noticed a lot of I mean, this movie is really a big vehicle for I would say what is Al's broader comedy. Like he's mm-hmm. he's known so around the world, he's known obviously for his music parody. Mm-hmm. But I think there's just a layer of his his music parody that people don't think about as much, which is the actual comedic side of his song telling. It's not just like, oh, I'm gonna replace like three words and now we've got a comedy song. Like there's actually a lot of structure to his to his songs, not to get too diverted, but like there's us any of his songs there's generally like a, a storytelling structure uh, as he goes through each of the mm. verses and they build upon each other um, and it's not just hey i've got a hook for the the lyrical chorus and we're just gonna sing that over and over again uh generally it's it builds upon itself and so he's he's a sharp enough comedic mind in order to to write songs like he does and this was a really good chance for and I it's kind of what i noticed is you see a lot of his his comedic chops coming through as they, they write things that are influenced by some of his comedy history, as well as just his kind of building up and layering of the comedic side of the storytelling.
0: I think people don't realize that writing comedy is actually kind of hard. It, it comes <laughs> yeah. off as easy because the, the people that are really good at it, you know, make it seem easy, but you still have to have like a knowledge and an understanding of something to really make something funny. And so- easy. Yeah, dying is easy. Yeah, uh, being funny is much harder. Comedy's hard, right? <laughs> yeah, not good not comedy's
2: a... hard, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: comedy is hard. Yeah, and and so uh, to to see Al kind of spread his comedy wings in this is very is very interesting to see. How do we feel about Al as an actor?
1: Mm. So my my takeaway here is not, and this this applies not just to Al but really to the entire cast, as as we've kind of discussed a little bit in our our pre show uh, rambling everybody in this movie knows the movie that they're in yeah definitely. and they're not trying to make it any other movie like kevin mccarthy as the villain no, is super he, super cartoony
0: he definitely plays it to the, the
1: hilt yeah. yeah
0: my favorite pod person fighter kevin mccarthy yeah.
1: and all of that is so so well aligned with the the script and you know it's 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 sharp and and silly humor which is all very very much al so al mm-hmm. is completely at home here he's not the greatest actor but he completely works here
0: it helps that he wrote the part for himself yeah <laughs> like so he knew what kind of strengths he had and what to, and what to use
1: which yeah. you know that that can't be said of everybody you know some people no. would you know write something for themselves and it come off completely
2: <laughs> terrible
1: yes yes
2: the room anyone is that what we're thinking here or, oh yeah,
0: the room would be a very good example. <laughs> I
2: was yeah. I was trying not to invoke yeah. that one. It might yeah. hear us.
3: Mm. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I agree, Tim. Uh, I know that we we ch- we chatted about that kind of early. That, that yeah, nobody is really trying to to rewrite the wheel or win an Oscar. I know that you know, the very opening scene has the the jokey Indiana Jones parody of them going and grabbing an Oscar, but I don't think anybody was ever under any illusion that this is an Oscar movie.
3: No.
2: Not um, at all. And I think,
0: although there might have been a universe where there there may have been a universe where he could have been up for best song. True, like True. that because I mean, if, could I mean, have happened. Like some, like because "Blame Canada" was up for an Oscar. True. So I mean, like there there is a there is a way that that could have happened. But yeah, you're right. No, one, this was not winning any <laughs> any major Oscars in no. that sense. No. no.
2: <laughs> I think I think uh, additionally, at least. I don't know. I feel like for for Al's acting, it it suits what it needs to suit. I don't yeah. think at any point in this movie did I feel like you know if they'd have really gotten like a somebody who had just spent years doing acting instead of him, this would be way better. Mm. I feel like the George Newman is kind of like an everyman kind of yeah. character. Sure, he's a a uh, maybe we call him like a dreamer, uh, a daydreamer yeah. is how he's per you know he's he's given, but he's like an everyman.
0: Yeah, yeah, when I when I rewatched it, I actually got a lot of Walter Mitty vibes from. Yeah, from it, because from the way he daydreams and how he daydreams.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that lends itself to while I wouldn't sit here and say Al's acting is is good. It's not <laughs> terrible. It's not the best. Um, as a person who's watched a lot of B movies with a lot of and not to go too much down that tangent, I watched a lot of bad movies from Mystery Science Theater fame. Right. Um, yeah. So yep. Yep. I'm versed in bad acting nice. uh, and this is not bad acting. It's, mm-hmm. it's a uh, capable acting. Yeah, um, I think Al having done so many music videos probably helped him with being able to at least kind of, you know, emote. Uh, I know that he had a, an acting coach. I think he says it in maybe his commentary, he worked with an acting coach for like two weeks before the film started. And so sure that he had a professional helping him to make sure that uh, in certain scenes, they really were doing as good a job kind of conveying uh, emotions as possible. Like I imagine is hard for actors, mm-hmm. uh, but, but it's not bad acting. It's, it's, I think it's adequate for what is needed. And I think if there was any acting that was, was on a higher level, it almost would seem, I would almost say it was probably would be overblown. It'd be more yeah. than what the movie needed.
0: I, I do think with like, when you're talking, er, talking earlier about playing to his strengths, there are a lot of times where he kind of gives this bemused look, like like I will this will be the image that we put on on social media for it. it's it's like he just has this kind of like what where am I kind of, like what is going on kind of face <laughs> that happens a lot, uh, and, but he kills that look. I mean it's funny every time. So. He he really
1: does, and yeah. in that way the the comedy here reminds me very very much of the Muppets who mm-hmm. you know when when they're at their best have this this great synthesis with the audience. It's like they're telling a bad joke, but. They are just as nonplussed by the bad joke as the audience, so they they get kind of a chemistry going there. Al's got sort of the same thing, and it is bizarre to me that Al has never really worked with yeah, the Muppets. It's like,
0: like I don't think he's ever worked with the Muppets. Hmm. Yeah, he
1: he, he did true. an interview with Muppet Magazine back back like a, right around the time of this movie, but that's that's like it. Like maybe he was on Sesame Street once or twice, but not not with the the Muppets. Muppets. Mm-hmm. It's it. Yeah,
2: weird. Seems That's like it. a missed opportunity now that you say that, right? Yes, it is.
0: <laughs> uh, I used to think Rob Zombie was a missed opportunity for the Muppets, um, mm. and this was based entirely off of how well they did with Alice Cooper. But like, yeah, I mean, Weird Al would also. You would think that would be like? Yeah, Why I
2: mean, was that not the first thought? That's from yeah. somebody, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah, it's. <laughs> oh, weird! Yeah. They wouldn't even have to try. I, it, it would write itself.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they because like, I mean they would do parody songs themselves. So. Mm-hmm. Has he not even been on Sesame Street? I know those are technically separate entities, but I
1: I think maybe he has once or twice. I I looked this up a couple of weeks ago because okay. I we 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 had talked offline about that once or twice before. It was like yeah. I I, you know, I Weird Al and the Muppets, you know, it's chocolate and peanut butter.
3: Yeah.
1: Why why has this never happened? I don't know. I don't Al, know. if you're listening,
0: make it happen. <laughs> uh, you don't have you don't have like a thirty year record contract anymore. You can do whatever you want.
2: <laughs> i bet you that it's henson's son now right so i bet you he'd be totally open to that
1: yeah yeah, yeah. brian henson's running uh, a lot of the stuff for uh for the jim henson company and uh and over at uh the the muppet studio under disney as as well i believe
2: somebody out there has got to make sure that when this announcement goes out we at weird al yeah and then we
1: yeah. get credit i mean i bet we've got a dozen <laughs> listeners one of you guys has got to have some connections
0: yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, anyway, back to back to UHF. So for a comedy movie from 1989, it's funnier than expected. Uh, I would say it does have some some moments that are you know not as funny as they probably were in 1989. I'll I'll say that. But I laughed more than I was worried I was going to. Every time I watch a comedy from the 80s, I, I, I get mm. I get really nervous. Yeah. Um, there is like there is its share of problematic humor. Getty Watanabe is kind of an example in and of himself. Um, He basically is playing the same character he played in Sixteen Candles. He's just a karate instructor now. Yeah. Although some of it, you know, is amusing, it's still very problematic. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and there's, but, you know, there's, and and we have um, the director of the movie play Gandhi at one point, who is very much a white guy um, in in makeup doing this Gandhi 2 sequence. So that doesn't land as well as it could have. But, you know, all things considered, it has way less problematic humor than the average 80s comedy so i will give it that (laughs) like and i think i think part of that is because al is a family entertainer and so he kind of knew where where to draw the line the fact that we don't have any have any like like blatantly misogynistic or homophobic jokes in this is kind of a nice thing for for an 80s comedy
1: a little bit surprising if we're we're being honest here but we're
0: gonna be honest yeah
2: yeah yeah i think you know and and even then not to not to justify some of the the two slightly questionable things that were, that'll mm. be really obvious for anybody who watches this. Yeah. Um, but even then I can't help, but think product of their time. Oh, it's, you know? yeah. like yeah. the oh, 80s, yeah. 80s films were not at all interested in making sure that we had a uh, accurate representation for, mm. for other people's right. Like I know yeah. there's been a major shift with like Marvel, right. Marvel has mm. been praised relatively um, in the recent years for making sure that, Hey, we got this, this character is supposed to be, like Moon Knight, the yeah. the the yeah. guy who's playing that is of the same. Yeah, any yeah. of the same ethnicity that the character is in the comics, and so they're they're being praised for those kinds of things because they're trying to be genuine and true yeah. to the story instead of being like, well, let's get this. Let's get this good looking white guy to do it um now mind
0: you there have been other times where they did not do that but true yeah absolutely
2: (laughs) true.
1: absolutely true and getting getting better but it's 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 still a process
2: and i think as we get better as a society that you see that change so i i would say at least for myself like like i'm not even trying to to justify like the you know the the joke here there with with getty watanabe or or the the gandhi 2 scene where you've got clearly a white guy now, Here's the thing, the Gandhi face. 2
0: scene is kind of funny on its own it is. Um, It's just and, a shame and, it's a white yeah. guy in Absolutely,
2: makeup. you couldn't find a, a yeah. guy who looks at least sort of like Gandhi From India, (laughs) and I'm willing to
1: forgive that one at least a little bit because on on the face of it, it's supposed to be kind of offensive. It's it's satirical and outrageous (laughs) and absurd, and that's kind of the point of it. Yeah, I mean, turning
0: Gandhi, Mr. Peacemaker. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like into 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 basically like he's not he's not we, we literally have Rambo later in the movie, but so he's yeah. not exactly Rambo. He's, he's, he's like
1: a Dirty Harry or something. <laughs> yeah, he's like Dirty yeah.
0: Harry or John McClane or yeah you know, something like that. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah it just I mean again. It, it always just seemed to me like as I watch it now, I'm like that's about as bad as it gets. And they are very much product of their time. Like mm-hmm. people know who Getty watanabe is and what he's known for, and so I'm sure yeah. they were like, oh okay, well, that joke makes sense. Or mm-hmm. but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things. Like, I I feel like it's not fair to a movie to hold it up by today's standards in a lot of ways, uh, especially when it comes to like you know stuff like that and us becoming the, the fact that we be, the fact that it is a problem shows that society has gotten better. Um, so it's like one thing. It's kind of like not fair to do that, but it's still something that kind of hurts the movie <laughs> and is sort of disappointing in in a sense. I mean, like there's thousands of movies that we don't watch anymore because of. Them because of things like that so but it is like this is not a birth of a nation bad so like
2: absolutely no it does make you look back to the movie and go shame on you 80s yeah yeah it's (laughs) it's
0: you get more you get more mad at the state of comedy at that time than you do like weird al to, to be honest and yeah so like those those things aside like i think uh the jokes um the jokes are you know some mileage will vary for certain things i i like i said i laughed more than i thought i would I, or uh, That's not true I laughed more than I was worried that I would Because when I first saw this when I was like 12 <laughs> or 13 You know I thought it was hilarious But I did I did ca- I did, did see this later in life on like Comedy Central um, And remember laughing at it still then And so I was glad that I was still laughing at this Although the yelling humor I didn't find as funny as then Because like I kind of associate that with like 90s Nickelodeon humor That hasn't really aged well But that may work for some people So yeah Yeah
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I love the, just the absurdity of it, you know, and like I said, that's, that's very much just, just Al's sense of humor and it, it comes through in, in all his albums and it's, it's very much on display here as well. You know, Bits bits like wheel of fish. It's what uh, actual carp
3: is that? Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I will say I, I'm a major fan of a lot of the, I know it seems like a movie that's going to be filled with dumb comedy and it's got some of that. Yeah. Actually, there's quite a bit of really smart referential comedy I really yep. like. Um, and just a lot of that for me is formed with Mystery Science Theater being such a massive part of my history as well. On mm-hmm. top of Al and a lot of Al's, you know, it's referential, but I I've I'm a major fan of a lot of that. Like the the reference to uh I'm not gonna take any more these wall, these floors are dirty as hell, referring to uh, uh from uh, network. Network, thank yeah. you. Yeah, network and you know, references to older movies, you're like that's clever. That's a mm-hmm. clever way to, to input a reference. Like I, I can really get behind that. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, there, I mean, there's, there's sketch comedy jokes, um, but I think they're pretty solid. And like, I like all the, I like uh, all of the, the commercial parodies are things that I'm really in like I really <laughs> yeah. spatula city. Special city is like a classic to me. Um, it is so 1980s humor and yet so absurd at the same time that it, and and Al's not even in it but it's still like just a really funny little piece of comedy and there's like stuff like that all throughout the movie because they're by giving it that television station premise they can do whatever they want
1: yeah it's it, you it, you can tell that you know they spent a lot of time writing this but that they also spent a lot of time just just throwing stuff in there to see what would work which incidentally is what the characters in the movie are doing as well
0: yeah I I do kind of think that the the non spoof humor works a little bit better, or or at least the non specific, because like Spatula City is a, is a spoof on certain commercials for sure, but not a specific commercial per se.
1: Yeah, so so many little local commercials out of yeah. the out of the yeah, 80s. yeah,
0: and yeah. like the the car commercial guy is awesome, <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> know, like that's. That's such a broad enough thing that they're they're kind of able to do their own thing like and I as much as I like Conan the Librarian it comes off as a little dated you know
1: um, and they were not the only ones to ever make that joke I,
0: I, exactly and you know as and same thing with like Gandhi too and like uh, and to um although I, I enjoy the the extended Rambo sequence um it does that's that's the humor that comes off as you know l- like less like uh the, the mileage on that does not go as as well, yeah. As, as the other stuff, but you know it's still funny. um I particularly like the fact that he doesn't really speak at all during that. He says like one line, I think maybe, <laughs> and then I just love that he just has that ridiculous Stallone face throughout most of it. Ooh, you, you can't see my face, but you know, <laughs> listeners. But if, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, and and so like when it's when it's non. I mean, the whole thing is a big spoof of. You know television and, and certain movies at the time but when it's veering away to its own kind of organic comedy i think that's where it really excels wheel of fish is making fun of wheel of fortune but it's so different from wheel of fortune that you don't notice
2: i gotta say my my favorite like bit from the whole movie and i know it's like a very it's like what like a three or five three to five second little scene is where they're outside of city hall and you hear a guy going is this it and another guy says nope is this it <laughs> And then they slowly shift over and it's a, a blind guy doing a Rubik's cube, which is Rubik's shoes oh, right, are yeah. very, very eighties toy. Yeah. And he's just blind guy doing the, the Rubik's cube. And one of the, the bums who you see earlier is, mm. is looking at the result and saying, no, you didn't get it. I'm like, <laughs> just totally absurdly dumb. And I'm like, every time it gets me i get a chuckle mm-hmm. every single time that happens
0: and and that's like that airplane quality to it to me. it's yes. like it's a, that joke a minute throw but like we could we could have easily not had a joke here but we still have a joke here <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and and i like that um so i guess yeah we can go we can probably get into the greatest hits part now since uh, since you like tj just gave us that bit oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> the hits just keep on coming hello this is Cy greenbloom president of spatula city i like their spatula so much Bought the company.
0: Spatula City, seven locations. We're in the yellow pages under Spatulas. For me, the greatest hit of the of the movie is, of course, the I, I love Spatula City. All the big commercials and everything like that. But um, I, the, the big centerpiece of the movie is, of course, is it? I didn't look it up before. Is it? Is it Beverly Hillbilly Slash money for nothing.
2: I think it's. I think that's the order. Yes. Hang yeah, that's that's,
0: that's that's the legal name of it
2: from um, the lawyers. lawyers. From the would lawyers, say it has to be this way. It well, had, it had to be yeah, called that be- because.
1: Because it was actually the the lyrics to the original Beverly yeah. Hillbillies. Hang on, because um, it
0: uses the ballad of Jed Clampett.
1: Yeah. yeah. So yeah, money for nothing slash Beverly Hillbillies.
0: Right.
2: <laughs> good old lawyers.
1: Good old yep. lawyers.
0: <laughs> yep. Uh, anyway, so like that. I particularly like that part. Um, the fa- now is it still computer animation or did they just do 2D animation and just make it look good?
2: I believe it was commu- computer yeah, animation. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I think,
1: think that was they did some, not cheap some out. Very, no, very, very early 3D animation, not unlike the official video, Money yeah. for Nothing you know, by Dire Straits video.
2: Yeah. Cool. And I think, if I remember correctly, I know it's slight like trivia related to that. I think the guy who did the, the animation had done animation for some of Al's other music videos. Oh, cool. And so he kind of had a relationship and was like, oh, yeah, I could crank it out. And he well, did is that it from computer. So,
0: yeah, I mean, like all he has to do is like he already has like the animation set up kind of based off of that video. He just has to render the characters different, which I'm not saying is an easy feat.
1: (laughs) Well, especially with, you know, what what they might have had, you know, in in 88, 89 when they were producing this. It's like, you know, that that would have taken some doing. You look at it now and it's extremely quaint and dated. It's like, oh, yeah, look, there's the scene between polygons Mm -hmm. and there's the next one and the next one and the next one. And they're, you know, super, super low res, but yeah, that, that was what there was at the time. And it was kind of, kind of weirdly groundbreaking when, when Dire Straits did it and, you know, it, it plays perfectly as a parody here. Yeah. So yeah, not not to, to pile on, but this is actually my my favorite bit as well. Not just because you know they're they're not at all subtle about you know sneaking a, a whole Weird Al music video right into the middle of the film.
0: Well, yeah, they use that Walter Mitty thing. He's like, he's, yeah. He's, uh, yeah, he's dreaming it.
1: Yeah, which which like like you said, they they play with some other bits. Um, yeah, you know, and some of those sort of go backwards, like the opening sequence. You, you get mm-hmm. to the end of it, and it's oh oh. That's because he's looking at this when he's right. But I I love the story about this this song specifically and and Weird Al and musician Mark Knopfler lately of Dire Straits because um, you know, with with parody you know legally Al's in the clear and he he doesn't have to get permission to do these parodies, but Al's the kind of guy who does it anyway. So he he goes to Mark Knopfler or you know through his agency. I I don't know the details. I wasn't there, um, but. But you know, reaches out and and asks, you know, hey, I, I've got this idea. I want to do this song and, and parody your your Money for Nothing. Is, is that cool? And and Mark Knopfler comes back and and says, yes, but you have to let me come play guitar for you. <laughs> so that is Mark Knopfler playing the same same riffs, the same licks from Money for Nothing as he did in Money for Nothing. He's credited here in the film, lead guitar. It's on the album. It's in the yep. movie and that to me is is just fantastic.
0: I like it. Yeah. Is there another bit from the movie that really plays for you guys? I mean, it's it's kind of a shame there aren't more songs, but we can, we can talk about that in a
1: second. A, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um there there're lots of other bits. Like like I I mentioned Wheel of Fish that mm. that just took me completely by surprise. <laughs> it was it was just so <laughs> absurd I couldn't not laugh at it. Another one was was a fairly early bit where Al's character is late for a for a date with his girlfriend yeah. and doesn't know the time. And there's there's Watanabe's watanabe's karate school in the same oh, right. building. Yeah, in the same and building, yeah. Guy's fist comes through the wall and there's the watch. He's like, Ah, 730. <laughs> that was a good point. Okay, video, yeah, there's 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 a clock. You know, just just pure opportunity right there. Yeah. Al
0: has like a, a talk show because they have to fill the time with something. <laughs> and he has emo Phillips on who and emo him and emo Phillips go back a long way. Like emo will yes. open for him sometimes. And emo is playing like a shop teacher from the t- and shows how to use a certain kind of saw and saws off part of his thumb and there's, like, blood everywhere. And, like, that's a part that I particularly like because I'm weird. And, <laughs> like, I think the thing that I like about it is just the way Emo is just reacting the whole time or underreacting the whole time. Oh, is my face red? With, like, blood spattering in his face while he says it. And apparently that that, that is the reason why the movie is rated PG-13, I'm pretty sure. Um, I think there were other versions <laughs> that they had to scale back from. Yeah. <laughs> From what I've been told. Yeah.
1: yeah the, the, there's yeah, a bit in the Rambo sequence, but yeah.
0: Oh yeah, in the Rambo sequence. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the 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 subtle I would say emo's subtle disappointment mm-hmm. is what really sells that whole scene. Yeah. He's not he's not yelling or anything because he slices thumb off. He's not mad. He's just like kinda like your dad or your mom. They're like, <laughs> I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. And he's just like, Man, I can't, you know, is my face red and He's just really just disappointed that it happened more than anything. It's, yeah. it's the perfect way to do it.
1: He's he's not even <laughs> crushed either. He's, he's just kind of mildly disappointed. Yep.
2: Absolutely. I, I will say one of my favorite, I mean, not just one, he it's multiple parts throughout the whole movie. I think the, uh, the way that um, was it Cosmo Kramer, Michael Richards. Yeah. The way mm-hmm. that he played Stanley Spadowski and how he just, I couldn't think of that movie being anybody but him. Yeah. The way that, And not just the way that he played it, but I mean, there's clearly a a lot of improv that goes on throughout Mm -hmm. his character's situations. You can tell even if you didn't know and you watch like a commentary and they say, Oh yeah, we just put the camera on him and let him improv. You could tell in a good way, not Mm -hmm. in a bad way. You're like, there's no, anybody wrote that. And they just were like, here, we're going to let you, we're going to let you riff Mm -hmm. in a way that you see a lot in comedies. Now. I don't know that. There were many comedies that did that for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that's a, I would say a staple with with lots of movies with like Will Ferrell and yeah. such in it now, where like, sure, there's a, a loose story, but they they allow a lot of um, kind of riffing and ad-libbing. But but that is one thing that I really enjoy. I mean, yeah, I Spadowski's think, phenomenal.
0: Yeah, the only other thing before that that would have been a real success would have been Spinal Tap. Yeah. 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 Yep. Which also had Fran Drescher in it.
3: There you go. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. But yeah, fair fair bit of that unscripted. We're just following around with the camera.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, and you can see bits of that here with, with Michael Richards and, and TJ. Like you said, they they do talk about that and some of the special features and in, in the various releases there have been. So it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. And it it mostly works. You know, they they don't use all of it because some of it's yeah, this this is just going on a little too long. It's kind of lost its shine after two or three minutes. But mm-hmm. yeah.
2: I think I, the uh, one of the other high notes for me is the Raoul's Wild Kingdom oh, I sequence. Love that stuff, yeah. <laughs> Just the whole sequence with the their own little homemade. Who's who's the famous guy who used to do it on all the talk shows? Um, oh, uh, gray hair. Yeah, oh, brain.
0: He has, he has one of those names. Um,
2: I, I'm sure we'll remember later. But yeah. it's just like when when you had the talk shows, the guy who brings the animals on. Except mm-hmm. there's you no know, talk show person; it's just one guy. Um, it's mm-hmm. kind of like it, it's just. A great sequence of events, and then they they play into the old Sierra Madre movie line about badges. Yeah, so so good. That whole sequence for me is is probably probably the most kind of quoted for myself. That Jack whole sequence. Hanna. Thank you, Jack Hanna. Yeah. I was like, it's got the gray yeah. hair, yeah, khakis. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> there 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 were a few others. I was like, was that Jack Hanna? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, Jack Hanna totally totally I, I like that part even though there's like some mild animal cruelty but it is still pretty funny <laughs> um i kind of like you know going back to michael richards i kind of think of him as the mvp of the movie he definitely he holds stuff together um it would have been like as much as i like al i don't know if he could have held the movie together and in that as that character had they you know kind of kept up with him doing that the the and i think so he had been on fridays which is how they had kind of discovered him and so and that was kind of like a Saturday Night Live Comp- like competition show ar- ar- around that time. Um, and so and then Victoria Jackson would go on to be on Saturday Night Live, So, but more on that later. So I guess that now would be a good time for us to go into the liner notes.
2: Where did you find this guy? Me? I thought you hired him. For those of you just joining us, today
3: we're teaching poodles how to fly. Come here. Come here, Foofy.
0: So this would be fun trivia, weird behind-the-scenes things, anything like that. What do you guys got?
2: Well, so... There's there's a sad one, unfortunately. Yeah. The my favorite sequence was Raul, Unfortunately, that actor uh, did end up passing away. I think during filming yeah, at some point car during
0: accident, it. apparently, yeah.
2: Yeah, and unfortunately, I think there was supposedly two more planned scenes. I want to say, mm-hmm. I think I had heard mentioned in some kind of commentary tracks they had for his character. But yeah, they they do dedicate the film to him um, at the very end. That's unfortunately a bit of a bummer one. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a more fun note. The uh, Milo character was famously has pretty well known was supposedly offered to Joel Hodgson of oh. Mystery Science Theater fame. Huh. They they had identified him as the person that they wanted for that role initially, but he had basically said, uh, "Well, one, he was slightly burned out from mm. other stuff he had been doing. This was right as Mystery Science Theater would have been right about to be developed in yeah, the very yeah. late '80s. So he was he was very much into to getting that off the ground. So." he ended up turning it down unfortunately but
0: yeah there's there's a rumor that Jerry Seinfeld had been offered to be part of this as well but was Ooh. having like a similar thing i can't remember if he wanted to be if, if he if he would have been spadowski or if he would have been someone else um but yeah there's there's a few things like that my favorite bit of trivia is is um so this movie doesn't do super well but we we'll, we can talk about that in in a <laughs> second but so this movie doesn't do super super great but because so but victoria jackson is in, is in this movie so al kind of has like a slump after this movie um but because he has like this friendship with victoria jackson uh, who later goes on to snl he's able to kind of revitalize his career through her to a certain extent so nirvana goes on saturday night live when victoria is a cast member and so he like he calls victoria during the show and says hey is it possible for you to go get you know Someone from Nirvana for me to to ask them if I could you know parody "Smells Like Teen Spirit," and so she goes and gets Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain asks Art, "Well, is it going to be about food?" And he says, "No, I'm just I'm just kind of going to make fun of like grunge and and nonsense lyrics." And he was like, "Yeah, go for it." And so and then and "Smells Like Smells Like Nirvana" ends up being like a bigger a big hit for Al, and that gets him back into the zeitgeist again after after this. So that that that's one of my favorite little bits of UHF adjacent yeah, yeah. trivia, if you will. So this movie did not do great, <laughs> as I just said. <laughs> uh, I can tell you why it didn't go super great, and part of it is I think that it isn't a musical. Like I, I I can't help but wonder if it would have been more of a sleeper hit if it had been if there were more songs in it. We really only get like the Beverly Hillbilly song, and there's a few like snippets of songs from Al from here and there. We do UHF is like the in credit song. But we don't have any like big performance songs. And so I often wonder if this had been more of a Weird Al musical, if it would have done better. Because I don't think it would have done well its opening week, no matter what. Um, And here is why. So here are the top ten movies. And I'm going to list all ten of them just because, just to let you know what they were up against. So this uh, came out in the, the weekend of July 21st and 27th of 1989. Here were the top ten box office of that weekend. First place was *Lethal Weapon 2*. Mm. Yeah, very good. Yes, and then the and then followed by that was *Batman*, which uh, was quite a big deal. Yep. Followed by *When Harry Met Sally*, that had actually jumped up apparently from twelfth back up to the third spot that weekend. Um, then *Honey, I Shrunk the Kids* and fifth was license to kill which is a james bond movie was that was that would have been timothy dalton's second movie it was yeah was
1: timothy dalton's second and last yeah second
0: and last okay yeah cuz then we wouldn't have we wouldn't have a james bond movie until golden eye after that so yeah that was quite some time and then this i this i'm like kind of this this hurts if you ask me cuz the uh, the number 6 is peter pan the 1989 re-release of peter pan which, uh, ugh, I feel like that would hurt. Um, behind that was Dead Poet Society. In eighth place, um, having been on there for quite some time, was having been released in May, was Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. Behind that was Ghostbusters 2. And rounding out the top ten was Weekend at Bernie's. And then just a little less than a million dollars behind that was UHF. So, in 11th. So... I don't really know if this movie really stood a chance, um, given all <laughs> that it was against. To get, just to let you know, even though I was very very young at that time, I saw four of those movies in the theater <laughs> that year, like that summer. So I remember, like my earliest cinema memories are some of those movies that I that I listed out. So that tells you something. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. So man, I
2: hear Pan. Yeah, those for me pan. too.
0: Yeah, yeah. So like I'm fairly like I'm, I'm not 100% about Peter Pan but I definitely saw Honey I Shrunk the Kids in the theater. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah I I did too. And man, I man that movie.
0: Yeah, and I definitely saw Ghostbusters 2 and, and and Indiana Jones. So, and I do wonder if the UHF crowd also had a big overlap with Weekend at Bernie's crowd. I mean, I'm just I mean, maybe, maybe. Uh,
1: speculation, but yeah. it's that there's there's yeah, the people going to the, see a comedy movie yeah, like would the crossover between those two sets is is non-zero. Yeah,
0: um, so yeah, that's that, that's my thing. So like, I do wonder if it was like if there were more songs, if it would have had more of a sleeper hit, would have had more, would have gotten some legs under it, if people, or if it was just promoted better for one thing too, but
2: yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree with the. So I mean, I think one of the odd things with relation to the with that is Weird Al was known right for comedy yeah. for music parody and so i think i'd agree in that we really only get one of those mm-hmm. you only get the the money for nothing song mm-hmm. um and that's it you don't get any more specific music videos or music parody yeah. other than that within the film so i think there were some people who i'm not going to say disappointed but may have been surprised that it didn't lean maybe a little bit more into what he was known yeah here's one interesting thing that i okay. had written down i do not believe at any one point in the movie do they say what the name of the town is oh. that this movie is supposed to take place in, I know it was a generic town
3: yeah
0: it's filmed in tulsa i know that absolutely but...
2: yep. yeah i've learned yeah. that over the years right with commentary tracks but i was watching it pretty closely yesterday i didn't see any point where they say what the name of the town that george newman's it what we do Mm. find out is his uncle lives in has a home in california yeah that's the only specific mention you get which ironically the scene from that house was filmed in a rich part of tulsa not california as well but (laughs) that's movies yeah but yeah like they don't actually say what the name of the town from what i saw is Mm. in the movie.
0: Yes, apparently it has a fairly big mob, like, underground <laughs> yeah. going on. Apparently, a lot of people yeah. who are yeah. very
2: interested in saving their UHF station. Yeah, apparently,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's it seems to be not a large, large city, but not a small one. So, yeah, it's, I, I, I guess we're safe to assume, like, a medium-sized place. So I, maybe, like, I, I guess Tulsa at that time would have been a good example. But Yeah, um,
2: yeah. Big enough to have a spatula city is what
1: I'll say. Yeah, big enough to have
0: a spatula city and survive. Yeah,
1: and local network affiliates.
2: Yep. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. It had to be big enough for no- for network affiliates, so it couldn't have been like a small place. So
1: yeah, yeah, not not coming through from a long distance or on a translator or anything. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> right,
0: before we get into before we get into like you know grades and final thoughts and stuff, I wanted to ask you too. What fake show from Channel sixty two would you have watched?
2: Ooh. That is a good one. Um, I think I'd have been a big fan of Bowling for Burgers. Yep. Um, yep. Bowling is a massive part of my family history, so I probably <laughs> I probably would have been tuning in for Bowling for Burgers.
1: Yep. Yep. So I crud. I I can't remember the what the the title was, but the the engineer who uh, who goes and is I'm going to show you how to make plutonium out of common household items. Oh, it's <laughs> so it's secrets of the universe. Secrets of the universe. universe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I I totally would have watched that.
0: Yep. I uh we don't see a clip from it but at one point George has this like has the the schedule up and we see all these like ridiculous titles um and one of which is leave it to bigfoot and <laughs> yeah and I, I probably would have watched that but um one thing we do have like a a a quick clip of is stay fit with Mike and Spike, um, which looks like a, a <laughs> punk rock exercise thing. And for a while there I was, I was doing workouts to punk rock songs and I called it homeopathic skinker size. The, the the skank being a, a ska kind yeah, of very, yeah. very, very um, cardio focused ska dance. Um, <laughs> so like I, I had made a, a kind of aerobics thing around that. So I definitely would have watched that.
2: Better, better than, what it was not jazzercise, prancer size, right? So it's oh, yeah. at least better than prancer
3: size. <laughs> better than prancer size, indeed.
2: <laughs> Pretty low bar um, that, but yes.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> There's lots of fun coming your way this weekend on U62. First, slam your way to health as you stay fit with Mike and Spike. Next, everybody's favorite Chef Bernie invites you to go bowling for burgers. All right, so let's uh, let's go into our final thoughts and grades. So, what are our grades for this?
1: Um, so I'll 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 go first. I really enjoyed this movie. I had a lot of fun. It's 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 very popcorn, not in the same way yep. as, as we talk about lots of other popcorn movies that are, you know, kinda summer blockbuster actioner kind of movies. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 sort of a comedy popcorn. Mm-hmm. You know, not not great cinema by any stretch, but it's it's clever and creative and surprising. It's still kind of B material though, mm-hmm. and, and intentionally so. But so for for that
2: reason, B plus. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Now I keep would... in
0: mind TJ is a really really big Al fan.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. So so it's an A plus. No, no, I'm just kidding. It's not an A plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm aware it's not that good of a movie. Yeah. Um, no, I I think kind of summarizing some of what we talked. Like I think one of the, the big things I like about this movie. Is that it doesn't try and lie outside of what it is. Mm. Um, it doesn't try and be uh, an Oscar-worthy film. It's not trying to be highbrow comedy. Not that it's lowbrow comedy. It's not. It's just not trying to be, you know, the smartest comedy out there that's disguised as like a drama. It very much knows what it is. Mm. Uh, it's clever. It's got a lot of, honestly, a lot of goofy comedy that reminds me of a lot of Al's music. And you know, there's a part of me that looks at. The family nature of it and makes me go, you know, this is a movie that I would very much be glad when my kid is, you know, old enough, like five to 10, probably mm-hmm. sometime in that range to kind of introduce him and be like, hey, here's a movie that dad likes. And I'd feel totally fine showing him that film um, and not feeling like it's anything that he couldn't handle, even though I know it's PG-13, the yeah. The PG thirteen is because of a of obviously very fake getting your thumb cut off, right? And, so and
0: that dude exploding in the Rambo sequence, exactly, I guess, which is uh, very
2: clearly fake yeah, foam core human being. Yeah, very easy to say, hey, that's a, a fake yeah. statue. Yeah. I mean, not, there not, there not, are Looney really, yeah.
0: Tunes that are absolutely. that are more violent than this. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
2: Yeah. Um, I think given all that, for me, I'm actually really in agreement with Tim. For me, this is a right in a, a solid B movie. Um, probably B to B plus not an A in terms of something that like everybody has to see, but it's a solid movie. It's a good one to put on um, every so often. And even if you're not paying full attention to it, you don't really have to. It's not a complex plot. It's it's a good movie that just stays within its lane. It doesn't try to be anything. It's not, you know? It's yeah, very
3: true. Yeah. yeah. Very true.
0: All right. So I had, I had come to this probably giving it like a C plus grade, which is not a bad grade is the thing. That's the same grade I gave Head. Uh, passing. Yeah, it's a passing grade. And a lot of these you know, movies that still live up to what their aspirations are. That's, that's, pretty that you know it's not a bad grade and it. it's still entertaining it's not going to change your life if you see it or not as uh, as someone who like you know i mean like, i'm not the biggest fan of weird al but i like the guy like a pretty bit like I would, I would call myself i'm more of a fan of weird al than i am of star wars um i will i will go yeah. that far so like but hearing <laughs> you guys talk about it you know it's kind of given me like you know a little bit better things so, like it may it probably bridge gets up into that that b scale for me um kind of like a like it's like i'm gonna give it an 82 a solid 82 percent. the uh and 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 that's mostly based on the fact that i wish there was more songs um some of the humor doesn't work click with me as it could have um but i also know that that will work with other people so but uh yeah i do wish that there was uh there was more songs but i do like what is there i do think it's I do think it's pretty funny, and it, for the most part, accomplishes the goals that it is setting out to do. And that is something that I think is always admirable. Whenever something swings for the fence and still, for the most part, gets there, even if the fence isn't that far away, is, you know, I still think that's pretty admirable. So, yeah. Is it a a classic of the genre? Um, Maybe, actually, because there aren't a lot of movies like this. So, yeah, I don't know. If, you, yeah. if you're into the band film then yeah it's it's definitely something worth checking out and that's why we reviewed it so
1: yeah, yeah. O- outside of you know the, the the genre of our recurring series here I mean it's it's a cult
2: classic It's definitely you know? a cult classic absolutely
0: I definitely would play better at midnight than it would at like noon but it's still pretty funny at noon so
2: and to, to piggyback off that so for for myself as if you're wondering about like nerd culture, Oh, God, I would yes. say, I'd oh, yeah. say this movie to like a, a nerd culture person. I'd say this is a uh, A minus to an A. Yeah. Uh, no, you're for totally For the general right. yeah. public, we're probably talking more C plus to B minus. Yeah. yeah. And which is why for myself, I'm like, you know, in general, probably B, B plus. I'll average it all together and just. Yeah. That's fair. If yeah. that helps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's
0: fair. Yeah. But yeah. So like, uh, so here's my big question to you, TJ. Where in Al's oeuvre do you, do you put this?
2: Wow. Um. I'd say this, this for me is, I don't know, this, this forms a lot of the foundation of what his most recent stuff ends up becoming, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to really, I'm not going to say piggyback, but, but the, the story of how honestly after this film, you know, I'm, I don't know if he struggled with depression, but, but I'm sure that he was not happy with how this resulted and how he was kind of torn apart by various critics. And, and it took him some time to, to kind of recapture a lot of, of what he did eventually with the Nirvana stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you continue down that lane and you've got other stuff he did. So for me, this is kind of, I mean, it seems like a little bit of a cop-out, but it is very much smack dab in the middle of his career. I'd say his early stuff is kind of tougher to not listen to. It's just, it's very you see the its development time. of his, yeah. of his work when you listen to early stuff. And this is very much in the middle, but it very much is, I'd say it's key stuff for a Weird Al fan to see what helps form his later years and what he ends up becoming, and when he hits the heights of his final album, where he's number one on the charts. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. being a bit of a fan, um, I have not seen him live because I just haven't been able to make it happen, but the being a bit of a fan, like I. Would say that that totally makes sense to me. It's sort of odd. I would never call any of this his best. Yeah, I would not. I would, but I would still find it somewhat essential because I like that. That's always been like a thing with me. There's like essential cinema, which will sometimes include movies that are actually maybe not that great, but are but are super important, um, and create this like become a big thing in the. In, in, in how art is made and such like this. And I kind of feel like this film is very essential to Al as an artist and Al as an entertainer. It's kind of a misstep, but that misstep causes him to become better.
2: Well, I think it's a it's a good, it was a good chance for him to see, because like, I mean, I know the films, there are stories about how, you know, the quote unquote testing and test audience. Yeah. Like it, it tested really well. Yeah. So Orion really backed this strongly. They thought right. it was going to be, a very helpful piece for them to kind of claw back into the the world of films because mm-hmm. they had had some hard times. And when it didn't do well, I don't know. I think it seems like it was a chance for Al to see, hey, my stuff still it still clicks with the audience that he's been building up over his early years. And so it's a it's a chance for him to be validated in that. Yeah, also a chance for him to realize, hey, uh, the mainstream stuff is harder to reach broader audiences and that's okay i think Mm. this kind of gave him a chance to say hey i'm going to continue being me um and doing my thing and the fans will come in whatever numbers um and that's kind of where some of the import for him lies in the way i see it
0: yep totally i could totally see that cool well that's uhf thanks everybody for coming out and listening um, we do have another one of these coming down the line, coming in the reel uh, <laughs> yeah, for our Bands on the Reel series. Um, it'll be it'll probably be a couple weeks because Tim and I have got some stuff coming up. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah.
1: In yeah. fact, we've got several lined up. This, this is going to be an ongoing thing, but yep. um, you have been warned.
0: <laughs> our next Band on the Reel feature we will be delving into, and I kind of made reference to this earlier, 1984's Purple Rain with Prince. So uh, that nice. one's... Yeah, very easy to get a hold of. <laughs> um, thankfully, Dreaming in a lot of places. A DVD that's actually very simple to get, even from your local library. <laughs> so, like, uh, give it, give that, give that a whirl, and uh, we'll be talking about that pretty soon. So, and Prince and Weird Al had a uh, very contentious relation, or rather, Prince had a contentious relationship with Weird Al. I don't think Al really had much animosity towards the guy but um there was definitely there's like a whole story about how they were going to be sitting next to each other in a at an award ceremony and al was instructed never to look at prince in the eye or something Uh,
2: some people aren't fans of parodies of their own stuff you know yeah Yeah. Yeah. and i
0: get it i get it i get it it, it makes me think of uh, Tommy Lee Jones to Jim Carrey during Batman Forever. And like, I just, I just cannot sanction your buffoonery. That That's, 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 that's kind of <laughs> how I kind of view the uh, Prince and Weird Al's relationship or, or would be relationship is how, is how I would think.
1: To be fair, I'd have had a hard time, you know, with Jim Carrey's buffoonery from that era as well. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a, it's a certain kind of buffoonery.
1: Yeah. But, right. Anyway that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thank you, TJ, for joining us. It's been great to have you. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So that's our show. That's UHF. And we'll see you next time, everyone. Bye. Bye.
3: Bye. My, where did you get that lovely spatula?